Well, hey, hey, everyone. This is Dana Shea, and you are listening to Real Relationship Talk. We are at episode 59. It is the third installment of our Marriage Vow series. And as you know, if you've been listening to the series, we are taking the traditional marriage vows and we are breaking them down line by line. And I hope that by doing this, this is going to encourage new couples to really take seriously what these marriage vows are all about. And hopefully it's going to help some of you old timers, those of you who have been married for 15 years or more to be able to really just appreciate what it is that you committed to. So today we are going to talk about what it means to have and to hold. So before we get into it, I just want to ask you, what do you think it means? Have you even thought about it? Have you ever considered what does it mean to have and to hold? Well, if you haven't, or maybe if you have, but you've been a little stumped This episode is going to help to unpack that a little bit. And I think you're really going to enjoy it because, hint, hint, we are talking about one of my favorite three-letter words, okay? And I will leave it there. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into today's episode. All right, everybody. Well, how has your week been? My week has been going pretty good. If you've been listening to any of these previous episodes, you know that we were just in the middle of a pretty significant kitchen remodel. And I don't know about you all, but I hate chaos. I don't like things being out of their place, which is hilarious because I do have four kids. So I don't know what the world I was thinking that my house would look like the cover of Home and Garden magazine. However, I don't like things being out of place. And so for the past three or four weeks, we've had utter chaos in my home because it wasn't just the kitchen that we were remodeling, but we also decided to continue the floors that we did in the kitchen throughout the entire downstairs. So it looks amazing. We're finally done. Everything is back in its place. I've told my kids, if you even think about touching one of these white cabinets, I will burn your fingers. That might be a little strong. I didn't exactly tell them that. But the point is, I have threatened them that they will not mess up this brand new kitchen. So it's gorgeous. And as I have been looking at it every day, I literally go in my kitchen and just stare at it. My daughter Kayla came home from college for just a few days and she's like, Mom, it looks so good. It looks like it should be in a cover of a magazine. But as I've been contemplating the work that we did, there's so much application that I take from that kitchen remodel. And we're going to get into the meat of today's episode. Don't worry. I'm not like trailing for no reason. You'll we're going to get there. But anytime we do a project on the home and we've done many, I'm always reminded at God's restoration process, how God can take something super chaotic and messy and ugly and he can turn it into a beautiful masterpiece. He did it with my life. He's done it with my marriage. And I believe that many of you can also attest that he has done that in your life. So I just want to encourage you, before we even really get into what the the episode is today, I just want to encourage you that if your life feels messy and chaotic, and if you feel out of control and out of sorts, the best is yet to come. If you would have asked me three weeks ago how I was feeling, I would have told you straight up, I'm overwhelmed, I'm depressed, and I'm anxious because nothing is where it should be. We've got 
tables out of place. We've got bathroom vanities in the dining room. We've got dust all around. We're eating out every day. I mean, it was it was a mess. And I didn't like being in that mess. I don't like being out of control like that. But when it was all said and done, and I look at the finished product, it truly was worth it. And I just believe, I'm just feeling strongly right now that I'm talking to someone or maybe even a couple who you feel like your marriage is completely beyond repair. You see the dust, you see the the mess, you see the... um just the utter chaos, and you think that this is it. And I just want to tell you that if you keep working, if we would have given up in the middle because I was so overwhelmed and anxious, I mean, y'all, me and Sean were going at it. You know, we were not getting along. And that's just real. You know, we were, we were, we weren't arguing per se, but we just were not getting along. We were disagreeing more than usual. And that wasn't something that I was prepared for. I'm like, I'm a marriage coach for crying out loud. But Once we were able to kind of work through some of that and realize we are both very stressed out, we put a lot of work into this kitchen ourselves. And so we we just really had to like deal with the fact that we are just humans trying to do our very best and we need to give each other grace. But while we're in the middle of it, y'all, if we would have just given up, then A, we wouldn't have seen the finished result and B, we would not have yet another testimony of what the restoration process looks like. So hang on, sister. Hang on, brother. It's going to get better if you just keep working. Okay, that was completely unplanned, but I just really felt as I was setting up this episode that I needed to go there. Okay, so what are we talking about today? We are in the third episode of our Marriage Vows series. This is the first time I've ever done an actual series on the vows. And to be honest, you all, I have been doing some research before I decided to do this series, and I could not find a lot of good information on what the marriage vows mean. I found lots of different versions of the marriage vows, but very few people are actually diving into the real essence of what these vows are all about. And so as I begin to pray through these vows, as I begin to think about them, and as I've been able to do some research, I've come up with some nuggets, I believe, some things that are going to help us. And again, as I said in the intro, not only to appreciate the vows that we're taking, but also to my pre-married folks to maybe pause or be a little cautious and consider what it is that you are about to commit yourself to, yes, for the rest of your life. So today we are talking about what does it mean to have and to hold? On last week's episode, episode 58, we talked about what it means to be legally responsible, right? Financially responsible in a marriage. That was the the part of the marriage vows that it says, I take thee so-and-so to be my lawfully wedded husband or wife. And so if you haven't listened to that episode, I'm going to ask you to go back and listen to that one after you finish listening to this one, of course, because I'm setting a foundation here. We're building on something. And so, of course, you can listen to these episodes as standalones, but I think you will get a better picture, a full package, the whole enchilada, if you will, if you listen to all the episodes in the series. Okay, so what does it mean to have and to hold? I had to pause and think about, did me and Sean say that in our wedding vows? I'm like, I know we did, because we did actually recite 
the traditional wedding vows, but I really don't remember what that meant. And honestly, I was 18 when I got married. I probably didn't give much thought to it. It was like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to repeat that. Whatever the pastor tells us to say, we're just going to say yes, yes, yes. Right. And so as I started looking at what does it mean to have something, of course, I went to our trusty little dictionary and I started looking up the word have. Now, that might seem really elemental, right? Like, why is she looking that up? And it's because words have meanings and meanings mean something. And so sometimes we take for granted kind of these basic words like, oh, everybody knows what it means to have. But do we really? To have means to have possession of, to have privilege, to be entitled to something. Now, those words seem a little bit much when we're thinking about someone, right? Like I am not entitled to someone. I am not privileged to someone. I don't have possession of someone or do I? That's technically what it means to have. Some other synonyms for have are to receive or to accept. I like those words a little bit better because I think they sound a little bit more relational. Still, to have also means to make the effort to perform an action or engage in an activity. And so, of course, I could not overlook the to perform an action or engage in an activity. What does that sound like to you guys? I mean, you said it, not me. But truthfully, that is what it means to have and to hold It means that you are vowing or committing to be sexually intimate with your spouse. To have something or to have someone, I should say, means that you are making a decision that we are not just roommates. We are not just friends. We are not even just partners, but we are romantically going to connect ourselves, our bodies, our souls. We are going to be physically connected in our marriage. If you guys remember when we were kids and we would give out those little Valentine's hearts and there would be the little heart in there that says, be mine. What does that mean? That means that, hey, I want you to belong to me, to be mine, to be, we we call it today, like my person, right? That's my person. It's a possessive um, verb. And again, it doesn't mean that we are possessive, it doesn't mean that we uh, lord over our spouse the fact that you belong to me. That's not what this is about. But there is a certain level of ownership. When you're married, it's not just everybody just does whatever they want. There is a certain level of accountability that is built into these vows. You are not your own. The Bible says that, right? Talking about our relationship with God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. But I also look at it in marriage. You are not your own. You don't have the right to just do whatever you want to do without any thought of your spouse. And again, this doesn't mean that we need to ask for permission to do things. Yes, you still retain your own agency of yourself when you get married, but you need to also understand that you are not just living for yourself anymore. Somebody has you, quote unquote. You are somebody's. Your spouse said, be mine, and you said yes. And so guess what? There's got to be an exchange here between you and your spouse, and especially in the area of sexual intimacy. It breaks my heart when I hear that couples are no longer having sex. 
it does something to a marriage that is sexless. I've done videos. I've been on other people's podcasts talking about the value of sex and marriage. I did a video several years ago on YouTube called Sexless Marriage. And those comments, you guys, it truly broke my heart to read from people all over the world who are saying, I am in a sexless marriage. My wife hasn't wanted to have sex with me for two years. My husband never asked me to have sex with him anymore. These are people who have no sexual interest intimacy. But these are also people who vowed most likely that they are going to have and to hold each other. And that's not happening. And so I started thinking, what are some of the reasons why we are not taking this particular part of the vow seriously? And I believe that there are many, many reasons. But I think that what we need to understand is how important sex is to a marriage. Not only do you consummate your marriage by having sex, but it's like the glue that keeps you together. And you guys, listen, I understand we get tired. We get frustrated with each other sometimes. We sometimes feel unattractive, especially women. If you've gained too much weight, lost too much weight, you're feeling sick, you, you for whatever reason, you just feel unattractive. Guys, too, that can sometimes hinder your desire. And that's okay to have those moments in certain seasons of your marriage or to go through these short stints. And I do want to, again, emphasize these stints should be short. But that's okay. Like every marriage is going to go through that from time to time. But you can't live in a perpetual state of sexlessness. And so we need to talk about why couples are not having sex and then what we can do about it so that we can fulfill this part of our marriage vows. Ladies. Guess what? I'm super excited to announce to you my new group coaching class called Wife Life. That's right. This group coaching class is going to be for wives and soon-to-be wives, women who are engaged to be married, who want to go deeper in their relationships with their husbands and deeper in their relationships with one another. You guys, I have been in several group coaching classes, and if I can give you a little secret, you not only glean from the wisdom of the main coach, which is me, but you are also going to glean from the wisdom and the stories and the encouragement and the support of each other. I want to encourage those of you who, for whatever reason, haven't been able to get started with individual coaching or even relationship coaching. Group coaching is going to blow your socks off. You are going to be so glad that you are a part of this initial class. I cannot wait to see you in this session. So here's the deal. For more information and all the deets, head over to DanaShea.com forward slash wife life. That's D-A-N-A-C-H-E dot com forward slash wife life. I'm super excited about this session. You guys, we are going to go higher. We are going to be better wives and our husbands are going to be the happy recipients of everything that we're going to learn. So I will see you in the wife life class. Talk soon. So you guys ever like met somebody or maybe it's you. And they're like, yeah, we have the dogs in the bed and the kids in the bed. And and it's just like everybody's in the bed. And I always want to know, like, well, when do you guys have sex? Like, are you guys having sex when the kids are at school and the dogs are outside or whatever? Like, when are you doing it? And I'm not saying that you can never have your kids in the bed. But let me just tell y'all. And this is like the old mama and me talking to you. Your children 
need to understand that you and your spouse were together before they came along. I tell my kids that all the time. They're like, you like dad more than me. I'm like, yeah, I like him more than you. I knew him before I knew you. (laughs) And I love him in a different way than I love you. And that's okay. My kid feels uncomfortable, then they're just going to have to deal with that. But the truth of the matter is your children cannot come between you and your spouse. And I'm talking about emotionally or physically. If you're not able to have sex with your spouse because your child is in the bed, little child needs to go in their own room. Pets need to go in a crate or somewhere else. Your bed, your bedroom should be your sanctuary as a married couple. Some of y'all need to declutter your bedrooms. Some of you need to get TVs out of your bedrooms. We don't have a TV in our bedroom. And Sean fought me tooth and nail over that. And I was like, no, because I don't like a whole bunch of noise. I don't even watch TV. So to me, it wasn't a big deal. However, when we come to bed, we need to not be focused on the news or whatever show. And I know that you guys are like, yeah, but shows can bring you together. It can, but you can also be brought together on the couch downstairs watching your show and then come upstairs where you're away from distractions. That is just my personal preference. I I don't want a TV in my bedroom. But also phones. And I'm actually guilty of this because when I go to bed, a lot of times it's like, okay, let me let me check, you know, this. Let me make sure I'm not missing any emails before I go to bed. Let me, you know, and and I'm kind of wrapping up business. And that's that's on me. That's a fault of mine that I have to get better about. But my whole point is, is that whatever is distracting you from being able to engage sexually with your spouse, it's time that you deal with that. And can we just be real, y'all? Sometimes we allow ourselves to be distracted by work or by children or by whatever because we don't want to engage sexually. So that becomes just an excuse. It becomes a layer that hides what's really going on inside of us. And if we're going to call this podcast Real Relationship Talk, we're going to go there. And we're going to ask ourselves, why am I not sexually attracted to my spouse? Like, why am I not feeling desire toward my spouse? Is there something that I can do to fix that? Ladies, if there is something physically going on with you or your spouse that can be fixed, fix it. Fellas, if you have something against your wife because of something she's doing physically, or maybe you're not feeling comfortable with yourself, fix it. What can we do to fix the things that need to be fixed so that we can increase our desire? You know, you don't need the little blue pill, probably, unless you're advanced in years and unless you've exhausted every other aspect. Some of y'all are doing porn in your marriage and you're wondering why you don't have the same desire for your spouse. Get rid of that. And that desire that you had for your spouse will come back. And again, I know, I hear y'all, I hear you right now. I hear your thoughts. Well, Dana, you don't know because that's actually something that we do to enhance our sex life. Okay, okay. I'm going to talk to you in five years and I'm going to see if that's continuing to enhance your sex life. Because the studies are out there, and I'm not going to get into it on this podcast because I've talked about it on other podcasts, but porn does not enhance the sexual intimacy of any relationship. It doesn't. It might teach you some new tricks. It might be exciting for a little bit, but long term, it will not increase your sexual intimacy. It can't. Intimacy is between 
two people, not four people or three people or you and a TV screen. And so I'm going to stop on that because I'm about to get on my soapbox. I'm going to get right off and I'm going to get back to what we're talking about today. Sexual intimacy. It's super important. And so some of you, it's not that you don't want to be sexually intimate with your spouse. Maybe you were, maybe your sex life used to be amazing. And for whatever reason, you've just fallen off. Well, I want to be able to give you some tips today. And y'all know me, I love alliteration. And so I've got four eyes for you today. Each of these words begin with an I, and I hope that this is going to help you to be able to remember these. Okay, so let's get into it. How do we improve our sexual intimacy? Number one, you have to be intentional. I think I have said that word at least a thousand times over the course of these 59 episodes on this podcast. You have to be intentional with any and everything that you want to do in life that matters. It is not going to happen by chance. It is not going to happen because you have good, quote, intentions. There's a difference between good intentions and intentionality. You have to make it happen. So if you need to schedule sex, schedule it. Some of you are like, I would never do that. That seems so unromantic. Well, it's also unromantic not to have sex. So you choose your poison. Either schedule it or you find another way to be intentional. But you must be intentional. You have to talk about sex. And I know for some of you, that's uncomfortable. It's like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. Oh, my God. Let's just do it in the dark and let's not ever bring it up again. No, you got to be able to have conversations about it. Like when you're having sex, it might not be the best time like in the moment to be like, hey, what are you feeling? You know, is this good? Like you could do that. But at some point, whether it's before, whether it's after, a lot of um, marriage experts say that you should probably talk about sex when you're not having it just in case you say something that throws your spouse off and they're like, oh, my gosh, you just totally ruined it for me, you know. But my point is, is that you have to be intentional about having conversations because how else are you going to know what is working and what isn't working? Are we just guessing? Are we just, you know, trying to pick up cues from our spouses? That can be helpful. But you know what's really helpful is just asking. And so a part of being intentional isn't just actually scheduling or making the action happen, but it's also talking about your sex life with your spouse. So that's the first one. Be intentional. Number two, you have to be interested. I think that there's probably not a husband alive who hasn't at least experienced this or maybe heard one of his friends talk about how his wife always seems to to feel like she's being dragged into sex, right? And that's just not appealing for any man. If your husband, and I'm speaking to my wives here, if your husband were to ask you to have sex and you're like, all right, fine. Oh, God. I mean, think about that. Like, that's not, he's probably just going to be like, you know what, whatever. It doesn't even matter. Now, some of you are like, nope, my husband's like, cool, let's go. (laughs) And of course, there are those husbands that are like that. But my point is, is that you have to be interested. Be interested in your spouse. Now, I will tell you this, from a woman's perspective, If the only time that my husband is interested in me is at night between the sheets, that's going to be a problem for me. I need him to be interested in me as a person. That means I need him to engage with me intellectually. I need him to engage with me emotionally, spiritually, mentally, right? We got to be on different levels, not just sexually. 
And so when I'm saying be interested, I'm not just talking to women saying, hey, you have to wear your little cute lingerie. That's part of it. But I'm also talking to my fellas here who many of you, you don't have interesting conversations with your wives and you're wondering why your wives are not interested in you at night. Selah. This works both ways. If you want her to be interested, you got to be interested and vice versa. I know I'm making some generalizations here because some of you women, you're like, no, no, it's not that. You know, it's the opposite. And I get it. I get it. But my whole point is, is that you have to be interested in who your spouse is as a person. That means that you have to be growing together as much as possible. I get it, you guys. We are all humans. We grow at different levels. There are certain things that maybe you were interested in when you got married that you're just no longer interested in. We grow sometimes apart. And this is why I always talk about drifting and how if you're not intent, there's that word again, if you're not intentionally pulling yourself together, you are going to naturally drift apart. This is what being interested is all about. It's finding out, oh, my spouse has a new hobby. Okay, let me learn about that new hobby. Oh, they're interested in playing this certain game. They're interested in in fantasy football, which I don't know anything about. It doesn't make any sense to me. But I've had to learn a little bit about it so that I could at least carry on a basic conversation with Sean when he's talking about it. And so we have to be interested in each other like we were when we were dating. When you were dating, your your spouse or your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever you called them at the time, They were the most interesting person to you, most likely. But something happens when we get married, we stop being interested. And then we wonder why our sexual intimacy is suffering. So enough on that. Number two was to be interested. All right, number three, be inventive. Sex is not supposed to be boring. Sex is also not just for procreation. Sex is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be mysterious. It's supposed to be engaging. You're supposed to look forward to it. And some of you, you're not looking forward to it because you're not being inventive. It's boring. It's stale. You haven't tried any new positions. Again, you haven't talked about what's working and what's not. And so some of you, you just need to go back to being inventive, using your imagination. I could there's another I word I could use. Be imaginative, right? Like, what is your sexual fantasy? I remember I asked Sean that, and I've asked him that several times, but I remember the first time that I asked him, took him so off guard because I was like, what is your sexual fantasy? Why? Because I want to be able to meet that. Why wouldn't I want to fulfill my husband's sexual fantasy? And the same way with you husbands, why wouldn't you want to fulfill your wife's sexual fantasy? Now, you might ask your spouse and they might say something like, oh, I don't know, or I don't really have any fantasies. That is a lie. We all have fantasies, every single one of us. And so what we need to do is say, okay, they're not comfortable sharing that with me. Maybe they're not comfortable because they've never really allowed themselves to be imaginative. And listen, you guys, you're married You having a sexual fantasy is not a sin. It isn't wrong. Now, if you're having fantasies about other people, okay, yes, obviously, that's wrong. But if you're thinking about your spouse and you're like, oh, man, I just can't wait to, oh, goodness, that's not wrong. So share that with your spouse. 
Do it in a creative way. Maybe you leave little notes around your house and each note kind of builds upon the next thing that you want to do or you want to try. Or maybe you buy a, a, a romantic book and you tear out some of the pages or I'm just totally thinking off the cuff here. Maybe you write your spouse a romantic love note and you tell them in great detail all the things that you've been thinking about. Maybe you act it out during your next experience. But my point is, is that you have to keep it spicy. You have to keep it fun. I've been married, y'all, for 22 years, and our sex life is better now than it ever has been. And that's because we're intentional. That's because we're interested in each other. And that's because we use our imaginations and we are actually inventive. We come up with new stuff. We try new positions. Let's see if that works. Oh, don't like that one. Okay, not trying that one again. It's okay. Try something else. But let's get out of just a boring, stale, monotonous experience. Okay, number four. I know some of y'all have to like fan yourselves over that one. I see you over here. All right, number four, the last one is to be intimate. And I kind of insinuated this one a little bit earlier, but being intimate is not the same thing as having sex. You can have sex with anybody. There's no intimacy required. But in order to actually have sexual intimacy, oneness to, quote, have and to hold, you have to build intimacy together. And intimacy is built on vulnerability. It's being open. It's being what Genesis says, naked and unashamed, like Adam and Eve were. They, they saw each other fully and completely, and neither of them felt any shame or guilt. This was before the fall, obviously, and before humanity fell into sin. Being intimate, you may have heard, is intimacy is into me, you see. So we have to be able to see each other for who each other really is. This means that you know your spouse's flaws, you know their weaknesses, and you still love them. You cover those flaws. You cover those weaknesses. You don't shame them. You don't embarrass them. You don't humiliate them. You don't put them on blast. You don't make these covert posts on social media that they know you're talking about them, but nobody else necessarily knows that you. you we don't do that, okay? Because that destroys the intimacy in your marriage. What builds intimacy? Building intimacy is done by creating a safe space for your spouse. That means when your spouse is angry and they're frustrated and they're overwhelmed, like I was a couple of weeks ago, it's allowing that spouse to vent and you not punishing them for having a moment. It's allowing them to be fully human. They don't have to perform for you. They don't have to be perfect for you. They don't have to say the right things. They don't have to talk in a certain way. They can just be themselves. And they know that on the other end of them being completely open and vulnerable with you, they are going to find nothing but love and acceptance back. When you are able to do that, your sex life is going to go in a whole new dimension. You are going to experience things that you never thought you would experience. And it's because you're opening yourself up. It's something about when we open ourselves up emotionally, something gets unlocked in us sexually. And the opposite is also true, you all. When you shut down emotionally, you will also shut down sexually. You might go through the motions, 
but you're not going to experience that sexual intimacy the way that God intended for us to experience it. And so to have and to hold is about taking our sexual experiences seriously. It's about protecting our sexual oneness. We're going to get into the forsaking all others in the different part of the series, but we could also say that part here as well. When I have my husband, I don't have anybody else. When he has me, he doesn't have anybody else. This is an exclusive partnership. So there we have it. I hope that you never look at that phrase, to have and to hold the same. I am so burdened right now for couples who are struggling sexually, even those who are listening to my voice right now and thinking, Dana, you have no idea. Listen, I want to be able to help you all through this. You all know that not only am I a podcast host, but I'm also a marriage coach. We've talked about the Wife Life class, and we're going to go into some of these points a little bit more. We're going to drill down a little bit more in the Wife Life class. But if you need help, please reach out for coaching. There is no reason that any couple should divorce because they weren't able to connect sexually. If you're sleeping in separate bedrooms, please figure out a way to get back in the same bedroom. I understand that some of y'all snore. Some of y'all have temperature differences. One person likes it cold. The other person likes it hot. I get it. But we got to figure this thing out, you guys, because this sexual part of our marriages, it's not the only thing. Please hear me when I say that. It's not the only thing, but it's a major thing. And if you're struggling in this area, you don't have to struggle alone. So please reach out to me for help. If you need to talk this through, if you need coaching in this area, I would love to help you. So that is it for our episode today. I pray that you all take this seriously. And for those of you who are winning, keep it up. Keep on being inventive. Try something different today. Thank you so much for listening. I want to encourage you to share this episode with someone. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a good friend. Share this episode with someone. If you need the show notes, they are always available at realrelationshiptalk.com. Today's episode will be at slash episode 59. So that's realrelationshiptalk.com slash episode 59. The Wife Life class is starting in just a couple of weeks. So if you are a woman, a wife, and you are interested Registration is about to wrap up soon, so make sure that you go ahead and jump on in that class. I would love to see you there, and be sure that you're following me on Instagram. I've been like MIA on social media, just in full transparency, y'all, because this kitchen almost took us out, but I'm about to be back. So make sure that you're following me on social media, and of course, be sure to rate and review the podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, it's super easy to just write up a couple sentences and leave a review or, of course, rate the podcast. So that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I love you all. Have a great week, and we'll see you on next week's episode. Take care.
Hello, my name is Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we're the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, check us out, Life After Addiction Podcast, and you can subscribe at lifeaudio.com.